0: Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. Uh, So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 145 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, uh, June 21st. No, just... just (laughs) Rebecca Black, for the win. Not in the mood for Rebecca Black. (laughs)
1: Friday, Friday, gotta get up and Friday. You know,
0: by you saying you're not in the mood, does that mean there's ever a time when you are in the mood for that song? yeah no there's never a time okay (laughs) anyway we're uh uh yeah i guess i already said all the intro stuff and i was just making fun of amateur podcasters in the (laughs) b-roll and now i'm like doing some amateur shit right now which is normal dude does my voice sound any better to you guys out there can you tell uh i went from using a 150 dollar mic to a 700 hundred-dollar mic so i'm i'm wondering if if my voice sounds any sexier or uh rich i don't know if you can tell a difference let me know whenever i release this um how you doing mike doing good doing good anything new um, in your life anything you want to update us on <sighs> not really i mean just I, working going to college
1: I just working haven't gone to college yet i mean because i don't start again until uh, august so i've been having the summer off but i've been working and uh my hour i'm getting a decent i'm getting like three days off Next week, but then I'm getting a decent amount of hours. I think it's like 28 or something, close to 30 next week. Wow! So,
0: 28 or 30 hours. I can't. (laughs) I can't say anything because I work like 15 hours a week with my DJ job. So I. Yeah. But
1: in for a part time for technically a part time job, like I'm getting decent hours right now. Yeah. Like you know, uh, so I'm not going to complain. Also, you know, yesterday I went out and. And hunted for some more uh, movies and stuff, and got some more good deals with so some that of that was, money that we've fun. made from the
0: sweet, sweet ad revenues. Yes. yes, yeah, and
1: also money that I, that I earned at work. So, um, yeah, things are going going pretty good. Got the podcast, got a lot of things in order. You know, I'm working, and YouTube is is what it is. But you <laughs> know, people don't seem to really want to watch you know a lot of my current videos lately but you know uh, there's been a couple people who've said really nice things about uh, my Tales from the Crypt reviews and the thing is I don't really care about views of those because I love that show and I've always wanted to like review every episode so I don't give a shit it's like if no if it doesn't get it that if they don't get all these plays doesn't matter to me that's not what I'm doing it for anyway
0: well that's that's Life in in uh, the Mike Zone now. In the going over to the Josh Zone, the um, danger zone. Th- yeah, well, some could call it that. Absolutely. Um, I think that my anti anxiety medication is finally kicking in. I had I haven't Good really ahead. mentioned it the last few times because, uh, I mean, because honestly, I didn't think the shit was working. Last week, I was kind of panicky before I even started the podcast. I almost told you. I almost canceled the podcast because I was like, "Interesting." Yeah, I didn't tell you that, but now I'm telling you because you know it's over. But yeah, I I was like, my my fucking bullshit in my head just wouldn't get under control. And um, in this past week, the past few days, I've been waking up feeling more at ease, more calm about just everything in general, Good. and. Um, yeah, I can, I can I can I can see that it's starting to to work. So, but I can tell you what, man, like when you first the first few weeks that you're on an anti-anxiety like an SSRI, I'm not talking about like a Xanax they don't, or, uh, did you look into them because
1: I don't think they are um, it's immediate anyway. I think it takes a yeah, little Mike, bit. Yeah, Mike, I was getting to that to if you body. would
0: let me finish my sentence. <laughs> God damn it. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the coast the, is clear. The <laughs> the coast is clear. I like that one. Um, no, like the first few weeks of taking an SSRI, a uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, um uh, y- it almost makes you feel worse before you feel better. Like I swear, man, like my, my anxiety went from like pretty annoyingly bad to like really bad to where I was like borderline panic attack, if not having a panic attack almost daily. And I'm like, what the fuck? i I feel like this medication is elevating my anxiety. Yeah, and now, that's bad. And now I feel like things are leveling off to the point to where it's it's making it better. So So when you got that pres- prescription, did they warn you? Did they tell you oh, that yeah. this might I happen? I mean, it was a common it's a common known thing that oh, okay. those that kind of medication takes I mean okay. it can take it can take four to eight weeks for it to kick in. Damn. Yeah. Which which is like a kick in the balls, because for most people, especially if it makes
1: it worse, like that could be something where, you know, that could cause some serious issues.
0: Yeah. Not only that, but you're it's like even though you're taking the medication and you're not even getting Mm -hmm. any benefit, you're still getting the side effects. So that's like, you know, if you're if you're feeling bad enough to where you actually want to get on medication, which is a big step for anybody It's like adding the biggest insult to injury where it's like I'm already feeling bad enough to where I want to get on a brain pill. But on top of that, it's not working and I'm getting side effects now like, uh, you know, it can be all kinds of stuff Uh, for me. uh, It's uh, the side the main side effect is oh gosh i'm an open book on this podcast it's sexual it's a sexual side effect it basically basically numbs you in your nether regions it it, it makes uh the sensations are not as intense as they would be if you were not on medication although i will i will say that that side (laughs) effect has tapered off this time around because i've been on the same medication before and, and last time the entire time i was on the medication it was like that this time around though i've noticed that sensitivity has returned anyway this isn't a that, podcast that's gonna
1: feel bizarre
0: it, it, it does feel bizarre it feels like you're wearing like two condoms at any given time <laughs> like you're just always wearing two condoms oh man that's that's not fun so yeah my
1: stepdad you know he also takes medications and he's had some side effects like for one constipation yeah that's, that's, that's really that can sucks. be one
0: it does that one hasn't affected me but i i hear that is a uh,
1: and yeah. uh he was also having uh problems you know in terms of like you know drowsiness and oh and yeah that's, a, that's another
0: one i for, I forgot and to mention things. yes the drowsiness is real that shit especially the first few weeks oh my god all you want to do is take naps it makes you so sleepy like god i hated that i think i'm through it like i don't get i'm, I'm not really feeling drowsy anymore yeah. thank god but i had like monster <laughs> energy drinks on deck i'm not endorsing them or anything but Uh i'm just they have the white canister that i like i I don't drink the kyle version the green version (laughs) so i want to mention one more thing when it comes to drowsiness this is
1: definitely a first world problem but i'm wondering if there are other people out there that are are also dealing with the same issue i for the life of me cannot find non-drowsy allergy medication that does not last 24 hours. I don't need 24-hour non-drowsy allergy meds. Because I think I only get some allergies when I'm in certain places. Like, there's some things at work sometimes that, that irritate me and kind of uh I might be allergic to. But when I leave my job and I go home, like, there's nothing there. So... I, if I take a 24 hour allergy pill, it just is 24 hours, you know, trying to fight something that isn't really there for 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it just fucks me up even more. And then it's like I'd rather just like not take anything because this, you know, what the the, the benefits I get are are you know they don't outweigh the uh, the negatives that come with taking 24 hour allergy meds. Yeah. So why the hell does that not exist? Why is it only
0: drowsy? The only ones I find are drowsy. Well, I think you said it best when you uh, prefaced the statement. That is definitely a first world problem, my friend. I know. (laughs) But it's a pain in the ass. I, I i just i, I, I just be, take the 24 hour one what's the big deal yeah who cares if it's like if it's still in your system when it doesn't need to be it's it's no, just an it, allergy it's, it's
1: because it because it messes with me it's not a, it's why. not lsd oh, no okay. it, it just it, side effects. It, it causes it causes side effects okay. like it it really dries me out uh, okay. and causes oh, the, a lot of a lot more the stuff issues you were
0: talking about on facebook yeah uh, okay i got gotcha. you yeah, this has become the medical, uh, Josh and Mike's medical woes podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, we normally don't talk about all this kind of stuff, but hey, you guys asked how we were doing, so we're answering. Okay, maybe you didn't ask yeah. how we were doing, but you, it was information that you still got, nonetheless. One thing I did want to bring up, um, since this Bob is... bizarre. Our... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we could bring that up, but No. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, since this is technically a true crime podcast, I mean, what, fuck it, it's not technically, it is, this is a true crime podcast, and a Slice of Life podcast as well, but... And an unexplained podcast. Yes, and an unexplained podcast. Um, CrimeCon 2020 is coming to Orlando, Florida. Mm. Orlando, Florida, being a two-hour drive from Jacksonville, Florida, so guess... Who the fuck's gonna be showing up at CrimeCon? It's your boy twenty twenty. Josh, I myself am going to be there. Because I always said that uh if it ever came close enough that if I could drive there I would do it. But I'm I'm just not gonna fly and all that because I'm I'm you know, yeah. just that's just too much. Uh, that's too much like too much money too much whatever to actually fly out and blah 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 Uh orlando that's a two-hour drive so if it's that in if it's that much in my backyard i will be at crime con i see it goes from may 1st to may 3rd um at the world center marriott uh i am going to um i'm gonna see if i can get in as a podcaster um if they're gonna you know Oh God, tickets are expensive. Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, Daddy's gonna have to save for this bitch. Oh my God, the gold VIP, the gold VIP package is like goes up to six hundred ninety nine. The platinum, damn, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> well, the standard early bird one is two twenty nine. If you yeah, save okay. if you saved up for that, then you know that's not too bad. But Jesus Christ, I don't know. Maybe if I get in as a podcaster, anyway go and look at crimecon.com uh www.crimecon.com and see if it's something that you would be interested in um there's a bunch of people there um like they're showing a picture here Keith Morrison from uh Datelines there you got uh I'm not doing a good job. Ooh, I'm not doing
1: I, a- I think I think I know why you want to go there now. <laughs> I mean, I would would be just cool to you- meet, meet him and Yeah you know yeah. I, i've watched you well, know it'd be cool to meet you know uh meet fans and stuff like that yeah too, exactly if we have any fans that show up <laughs> there,
0: are, there are, i would imagine there would be at least two or three people that would that listen to our podcast that would uh that would be there so if you're gonna be there let me know uh you know because if nobody's gonna be there then i'm not gonna go but if there's at least a few people that's gonna be there then i'll i'll be there and maybe i don't know would you would you uh it, since it's since you have almost a year to plan, that would that be something that you would consider? Uh, I'd consider it. I'll look in, I'll look into it. Um, because that would be great. I mean, if we could like podcast oh, yeah. from there and like <laughs> actually in person, and you, people could come meet right. us and all that, that'd be great. Uh huh. So yeah, so there's that. That's that's on the table if that interests anyone. But now we have a. Uh, Another classic Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast for you, seeing as both of these cases are from Unsolved Mysteries. And they're from season 12, the last season,
1: which every episode I keep watching seems to have some decent cases.
0: So so would you say that the last season was very much uh, misjudged by us in the past? I, I, I definitely would agree with that so far. These are good cases, but it it it, do, it does feel like a different show at this point. You do see- it does
1: it does it doesn't have the same production value in terms of the reenactments, and it doesn't have the same uh, creepy atmosphere or mood. But the cases are still really strong, and that's where, in a lot of ways, that's that's the crux and the core of the show to begin with. And Stack is still pretty. Solid, despite his uh, age and despite the,
0: his declining health. Yeah, yeah, he was still really solid. Um, all right, so the first case we're gonna be talking about is Star Palumbo. Um, Palumbo sounding like a fat detective. Um, <laughs> like like a a mix
1: uh, between Kojak and and Columbo. <laughs> yeah, but he's plump. Yeah. So he's Oh, so like uh the fat man in uh in Jake and the Fat Man.
0: What what was that? I, I always <laughs> William
1: hear, Conrad. I always yeah. hear that title, but like what was that like a show or like what- Yes, it was a show. It was a show that lasted for a, a good amount of seasons. It was a mystery show. <laughs> there was some young guy named Jake and there who was skinny, and then there was this fat man played by William Conrad, who was this who was the Kind of the Sherlock Holmes of of or or, Cole Jack, uh, you know not not Col Jack, um, uh that Col Jack is a different thing entirely. That's the Night Stalker, um, <laughs> he, he was like he was he was similar till it to Columbo and things like that.
0: Okay, so anyway, um. Family Guy actually had a really hilarious cutaway gag with Jake and the yeah. Fat Man. And he, but I'm not going to get into that, because I'm going to probably he's like it. he's like wheezing or whatever. Yeah, he's like you know. in the chair, he's like, do you think that Danish had cheese in it? Yeah. <laughs> I got a little problem with cheese. I'm just going to take a nap for a second. And they're like at the crime scene, and he's just like taking a nap in the chair while yeah. Jake is like trying to... William Conrad me. was really obese in that show. And now I have to see uh, what the hell this... William Conrad Conrad just, Jake just type. and the Fat Man <laughs> What a goofy name for a fucking show hey, he's a, Yeah he's a fat old guy He's not I mean God he's like wearing his, he's got his pants up way past his belly button What a weird concept for a show I'm sorry, guys. I've just gotten, like, way off track here. (laughs) Yeah, he was pretty fat. Whatever. Anyway, Star Palumbo and Josh's ADD. Um, (laughs) In the early morning of April 26, 2000, a young woman was spotted wandering in a restricted area of the Reno, Nevada airport. She appeared disoriented and frightened. When an airport police officer was called in, he found her hiding behind a truck. She said her name was Star Palumbo, and she claimed she was trying to find her younger sister who was running loose on the tarmac. The airport police officer felt that Star's story might not be true, but according to Barry DeBoer of the Reno Tahoe Airport Police, the officer also believed that she had no criminal reason for being out on the runway. He had no idea why she was out there. She could have no logical explanation, but instead of arresting her, he decided to release her. Star was dropped off which, near a hotel. Which was the
1: right, you know, that was the right choice. Um, it seems like that's definitely a kind of a psychotic break, right, that she was going through. Yeah. Like, you're just wandering around in the tarmac, and you're, you're looking for your sister, and I don't know, or she could be on drugs, so that's another
0: thing, too, that's another possibility. Right. So Star was dropped off near a hotel. The next day, an illegally parked car was discovered at the airport. Barry DeBoer ran a check on the license plate. The registered owner came back to Star Palumbo. It appeared to be loaded with all her personal possessions. In the car were Star's cell phone, her purse, and $600 in cash. But other items caused more concern. There were copies of three emails sent to the White House. It seems Star felt the government was trying to murder her. Police also found a morbid drawing that depicts a woman bound and gagged. And finally, they found two books on how to change one's identity. According to Reno police detective David Jenkins, Starr never showed up to claim her car. There are two very likely possibilities. The first is that she is suffering from some type of either organically caused or drug-induced psychosis and is a sick woman who doesn't know who or where she is. And the second possibility is that she's been the victim of a serious crime and has either been murdered or she can't contact her friends and family. There was a time when Star Palumbo was once full of hope and promise, but authorities believe that she fell into a world of dangerous and addictive drugs that threatened to end her life. Star's mother, Gail, is convinced Star is alive and may one day come home, as they always are usually convinced on this show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, their
1: loved one goes missing. Immediately, they're like, they're not dead. They're they're still alive. And I get it. It was a totally understandable uh, emotion and feeling to have because that's what you want. That's that's a, that's what you want the most. Like, but
0: realistically, people go missing for that long. They're dead, Mike. You know, most people on unsolved mysteries, the person's gone for a long time, and people are like, oh. They're missing. I'm telling you right now. If I message you and I don't hear back from you within hours, I'm like Mike's dead. Time to find a new co-host. <laughs> In I mean, a few hours. Yeah, a few hours. Like that's how little hope I have for you and your survival. <laughs>
1: oh man. <laughs>
0: you don't know this so if my
1: internet goes out like there's been days where my internet has gone out
0: yeah i was like already asking (laughs) several people like do you watch the show and solve mysteries can you talk about it for hours at a time oh man and then you come back and i'm like mike buddy when's the next time you want to do the podcast There, um so anyway her mom Gail is quoted here as saying Star lived a very happy childhood she's very dependable and she's a trusting person she's a very happy person sociable person and I guess she trusted too much people too much and I don't know I don't why know if she's I a ha- very
1: happy person I don't know why <laughs> I have a
0: southern accent but uh one year before she disappeared star left her home in Arizona and moved to Reno It was here detective Jenkins believes that her life took a tragic turn. In in this particular case, Starr seems to have fallen in with a very bad crowd and had been involved with methamphetamine at a level that could only be disastrous. Starr worked as a cashier at a pawn shop, but according to her friends, her drug habit cost more than she made. Detective Jenkins said police believe she began to look for other ways to make money. There is an indication that Starr had been dabbling in prostitution. In her phone books, there were references to a number of men. We really don't have a good feeling for the extent of the relationships with a number of those men. However, certainly prostitution is a high-risk occupation, and one of the factors that causes us concern about what has befallen Star. Yeah, if your name is Star, I don't know if you are going to be uh, a paralegal or a veterinarian. I'm thinking your line of work is going to be in the uh the adult entertainment business the skin <laughs> the skin trade as they might call it uh you know i don't i don't think there's a lot of it sounds like it's you know I, you know i hate to
1: be judgmental but i'm going to be here with that particular name that that name has an association attached to it that a lot of people think as like a nickname for like a stripper or something I mean, to be perfectly honest.
0: I'm just saying I haven't seen a lot of Judge Cinnamons presiding over very high profile cases. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't heard of a uh, The Honorable Judge Cinnamon <laughs> I, I haven't heard of a, 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 a <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Fantasy MD uh,
1: <laughs> Fantasy? That reminds me of this place called Fantasy Video that uh do you have fantasy videos in jacksonville it seems like it might be like a chain no it's like uh but there's a fantasy video that's a adult video store that's in the pacific northwest and i was at i got back from school one day and there were some people who ended up calling the home phone at my grandmother's house because i lived with my grandmother and they were talking about how we saw your son at fantasy video or whatever at this blah, 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 blah time. Or, and, and my grandmother's like, uh, no, <laughs> she's like, that's not possible. Like he was at school. <laughs> uh, so it was the most bizarre thing ever. I think it might have been like a prank call or something or somebody was trying to mess with 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 me or with but like it didn't it didn't go as they would have planned. Because my grandmother didn't buy it, and so it was just this awkward sort of thing where they're like, "Well," um, uh, <laughs> and then grandma hung up. Like it was just like it was just one of the like. Because whenever I think of fantasy, you know, I, I kind of you know I think of the genre of course of of stories and movies, but like I just have this sort of like, this is kind of a a, a funny story. This is like what what were you thinking? Like really? Like that's what is that like an adult? Call. Is that an adult film
0: store or something?
1: Yeah. oh uh, yeah. Okay. it's kind of a lame prank, really. Like your your
0: your son was
1: at your grandson or your son was at fantasy video. It's like no.
0: There's one of those <laughs> adult video stores like uh, by, by my house, and like I I'm, I'm just gonna like go in there and be like, if you guys if you guys piss me off, I'm going to stand on this counter and tell everyone in this store about something called the internet, and your business will be shut down by tomorrow. <laughs> like, what the fuck are with these people? Like, why are you going to adult video stores now? Like, guys, huddle in. I'm going to tell you about something that is going to be as big as the fucking wheel in your world when the wheel was invented. It's called Internet porn. And like, once I think I tell them about that, their 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 heads will just explode out of the back of their fucking noggin. And it's just going to be like, what? I, I don't have to pay for this? Like, fuck. (laughs) Anyway, going back to this story here, Star lived with her grandmother and called her mother every week, Gail Palumbo says in her final phone call. Star sounded anxious and paranoid. She said that she felt that somebody was following her and when she talked in the phone, she thought maybe the phones were tapped and somebody was listening and she mentioned how something was going on and she was afraid for her life and she wouldn't discuss any more of that. According to her mother, Star wanted to turn her life around. She talked about flying to Tucson and starting over, but Gail Palumbo has not heard from her daughter since that call. Star's parents began a massive search. Star's picture was posted throughout the state of Nevada. Detective Jenkins spoke to a casino owner, Linda Fields, who claimed to have seen Star in her Elko, Nevada casino in December 2000, eight months after she disappeared. Miss Fields describes seeing a young woman who had come into the bar one evening who had looked frightened and was alone and that the young woman had volunteered to her that her name was Star and that she was being chased or was trying to escape from a pimp. Linda says that Star became extremely upset when she saw a man looking at her through the bar window. Star quickly left with another young woman and there have been no additional sightings. The disappearance of Star Palumbo is still an open investigation. Yep. Um, I picked this case because the, it had some
1: interesting um, elements to it. So you had the whole thing involving her paranoid uh, delusions, uh, how she was thinking that the government was out to get her, and specifically these, this sort of dis- these disturbing cartoon drawings that she drew in her uh, notebook. That police found. They're in not her bad car. drawings. Like she actually kind of had a talent no. for it. Yeah. So it, it looks, you know, it's uh, images of a woman tied up,
0: huh. and 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 the chick, a uh, cartoon character with a total babe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was pretty hot. Shut up, Beavis. Anyway, so, let me see effects um, <laughs> of methamphet, Methamphet... Fe- that's a hard <laughs> word to spell all right let's look up the effect you were having a hard time uh saying it <laughs> uh what are the okay short and long-term effects of crystal meth uh when taken meth and crystal meth create a false sense of well-being and energy and so a person will tend to push his body faster and further than it is meant to go alcohol does the same thing Thus drug users can experience a severe crash or physical and mental breakdown after the effects of the drug wear off. Because continued use of the drug decreases natural feelings of hunger, users can experience extreme weight loss. Negative effects can also include disturbed sleep so patterns. Don't Hey, if you're trying to lose weight, don't don't do that.
1: <laughs> don't feel like, "Oh, I found I found the perfect weight drug, <laughs> the weight loss drug. I found the perfect weight loss drug. It's crystal meth." <laughs> No.
0: Um <laughs> negative effects can also include disturbed sleep patterns, hyperactivity, nausea, delusions of power, increased I think people used to do that actually
1: like back in the day like they would take met- like the pill form of methamphetamine you know to lose weight. And that was like a-, a trick that some people used to use like back in like the 80s or whatever. And then there was other stuff. Of course, you had people who, you know, did long haul trucking or whatever.
0: Yeah, they would truck- taking- trucker meth yeah uh long-term uh damage can include brain damage including memory loss and increasing inability to grasp abstract thoughts well that's a very specific thing an increasing inability to grasp abstract thought does this say anything about
1: paranoid delusions or anything like that psychosis there we go So, that, that's, that ding, ding, ding. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that could have been the cause of her delusions, for sure, was her severe methamphetamine use. Because, uh, apparently, she was doing it pretty, she was going pretty hard on the meth. Uh, like the police officer said, she was involved with methamphetamine at a level that could only be disastrous which was uh, which was a very uh polite way to say she was doing a
0: shit ton of fucking meth <laughs> you
1: know she was doing <laughs> she was doing way a, too much a problematic
0: meth. amount of methamphetamine mhm and uh yeah uh
1: i don't know like when it comes to like what what her fate is um I don't know if she's dead. Like, that's a possible, that's a, that's a definitely a um, realistic possibility. um, But I don't know. Like, it seems like, it means, it seems like a case that maybe she kind of just fell into this drug crowd and the, and the, and the pimps and everything and just did not decide to go back and, and, uh, reunite with her family in any way. Or she was unable to. Because that's happened a decent amount of time for certain people. If they get in that particular uh environment, it's difficult for them to get out of, and if they do, they uh usually wind up uh dead. But in those case they usually are and they usually are found in some way or another. The fact that there's no body that's been discovered for all this time is kinda of puzzling.
0: I'm just like I know. I, I mean, I know I watch Breaking Bad and all, but I'm like actually looking up what what is in meth and uh, Jesus Christ, like <laughs> why? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, like I get like shit like marijuana because it's like literally a plant, yeah. You know,
1: well marijuana. It, it, I mean, compared to these other hard drugs like meth or cocaine or this other stuff, it the the side effects that you get with marijuana are nowhere near as Disastrous, you know, it's nowhere
0: near as destructive.
1: Uh, well, even to you, like to your body.
0: I don't know, like even like any plant-based drug makes more sense to me. But like this shit yeah. this shit, they're using like drain cleaner and battery acid uh-huh. and all this shit. It's like yeah. what the fuck? Well, who who was the first person who's like, hey, I just mixed all this shit together. Dare me to smoke it? Like what did they have like a death wish or something? Like, hey, instead of killing me, this gets me insanely high. Whatever i'm down for anything like I, I just don't understand yeah i don't understand and and the and the damage it does to people's body
1: is just astonishing like i i i will never forget the images i've seen i think it was like in a paper or something and it just showed this uh progression of this woman this young woman and, and what what heavy methamphetamine use did to her skin her, her her face
0: or, her you know, she looked like she'd aged like 30, 40 years. They got a picture of this one lady on here uh, on this website who smoked meth and uh, it gave her great cheekbones. That probably wasn't a good after picture to dissuade people from smoking meth. Because she went from having, you know, no cheekbones to just fantastic cheekbones, so... Well, probably because she's skinning bones. Well, I <laughs> that's mean, hey. Why you can, that's yeah. why you can see her cheekbones. Save money on plastic um, surgery. <laughs> man. I am not um, advocating smoking crystal meth before anybody, <laughs> uh... Before anybody, like, makes this as a sound bite or something. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, folks don't do meth. <laughs> should should go without saying at this point but you know sometimes and as for what people. happened to star I, I it's another one i
1: i don't really know for sure like what what is your what do, do you think she's dead do you think she just fell through the cracks and you know yeah i think i think she i think she
0: fell through the cracks you know i think that like uh A lot of these these girls like this, you know, if they're working in prostitution and all that and there's drugs involved, usually nine times out of 10, it's sex trafficking of some kind is going on with them. And that's just such a such a hard world to get out of, you know, with the drugs and the pimps and all that stuff. And, um, you know, it's it's just bad news. So I had a friend who was in the sex, the sex trafficking Ooh. trade for a while and she got out of it and now she's like a spokesperson for you know Good. Good uh survivors her. and you know she was addicted to like every drug under the sun and she kicked all that i'm really proud of her you know awesome but yeah so it's but yeah she told me about like that whole world that's and inspiring really. yeah no it is i that's like i'm like so like proud of her for you know because i mean like how many people like kick you know not only like being in a sex trade, but also kick like, you know, like she was on heroin and she, you know, like, and now she's like got a good job and like, you know, it's, it's, it's very rare that people are able to really pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. So it's, it's one of those stories that sounds too good to be true. Yeah. But it yeah, it is. does. Like, like when she's speaking at events, I'm sure, I'm sure people who might still be in that world or whatever, I'm sure they're like, yeah, right. That's nice for you, but I'm not going to be able to do that you know but i don't know man like i think like the big thing with her though is like she was like really self-aware about how fucked up everything was like the whole time like she she was aware that it was like awful and that she wanted to do better with her life some people are not even aware enough to realize that the situation they're in is like as bad as it is and that you know they shouldn't be doing that you know
1: yeah i think star might have been in a situation like that um and then you have the drugs combined with everything and then the effects that it was having on her psyche. I mean, she could have easily just had a mental break and just forgot, you know, about, you know, really who she was. And it's just this kind of this, this husk that's just walking around being abused and, and led around by the pimp. Uh, speak, I want to mention one last thing reg- regarding this uh, segment. Unsolved Mysteries, you know, they this is when they were this this season is from the uh, Lifetime se- seasons, and it, it it carries over the same kind of approach that the series did uh, in er- earlier seasons that weren't on Lifetime in terms of how they handle certain things, like the pimp is just some ra- you know some random guy who just kind of looks at her mean like, like you know it's like. And in in a lot of ways, pimps are a lot worse than just giving their uh, tricks dirty looks, you know <laughs> There's just a lot of abuse going on and and uh, swearing and and, and forced uh, administration of drugs and all that kind of stuff, right. So, um, I don't really have anything else to say about this case except, uh, Star, wherever you are, um, I hope you're, if you're alive, you can find a way out of the place that you're in.
0: If you're not, I hope you rest in peace. I hope you're shining brightly and did not, did not collapse in on yourself like a black hole. So the next case is
1: uh, arguably probably one of the more high-profile cases this bit that has been featured on the show. This is the case of Darlie uh, Routier. Um, this is a case that is still ongoing. There was a recent documentary on 2020 uh, that came out. So this is a case that Still is something that is in the public eye and a lot of people are thinking about it. And I could see why. I mean it's 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 a mother who is convicted of killing two of her kids in brutal
0: fashion. Yeah, this was uh when I saw I hadn't seen this one before. I've never even heard of it. I'm I can't believe how many segments there are that I'm like, damn, this is a good segment. I have like never freaking seen this one like when I first saw it, I was just like, "What the fuck, man!" Like, it is
1: it's it's a really what the fuck segment. When I I I, hadn't, I I had not heard of it either until until I saw the segment recently, and I was like, "I definitely want to cover this because this case is one of those cases that I really like talking about on this on this podcast because there are." multiple different approaches so and ultimately it's one of those cases where to this day it can go either way and those are some of the most intriguing cases because you have all this evidence that suggests that well she could be guilty and then you have all this evidence that suggests that she might not be guilty and you're trying to figure out which side you lean on and 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 which side you personally feel to be the truth and and sometimes that's a lot more complicated than you might think. It's not as simple as black and white. And I, I always find those cases really interesting when you're looking at cases like this and you can't really pinpoint for sure, oh, guilty or innocent. It's this, this uh, gray area in between the both of them. So, Darlie and Darren Routier were married and had three children. After the birth of her third child, she began to suffer from postpartum depression. However, the Routier's life seemed perfect otherwise. On the night of June 6th, 1996, Darlie slept on the sofa in her family room, while her two sons, Devin and Damon, slept on the floor near her. Darren and her infant son, Drake, were asleep upstairs when she allegedly awoke to find a person right above her. She screamed for her husband, and the assailant fled the house and dropped his knife on the way out. Darley realized that she had her older sons, He her, that she and her older sons had been attacked, and she called 911. And in this segment, they actually play the 911 call, and it's it's pretty chilling to, to listen yeah, to. Yeah, it
0: sounds, to me, I'm, so, it sounds pretty damn convincing, like how I would expect someone to act if that, like, really, you know if that if they're if they just like found their kids like all stabbed and shit. Yeah. Darren immediately,
1: immediately noticed Devin and Damon were badly stabbed, so he began CPR on them as Darley stood by. By the time par- paramedics arrived, Devin was dead. Damon died en route to the hospital. Darley was also treated for cuts that included an almost fatal gash on her throat near a major artery. She survived her wounds. That particular injury is the one that makes me like, How did you not wake up?
0: Yeah. How do you sleep through that? Yeah. You wake up and it's like, Oh, my throat's been, you know, slit almost. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Darley was interviewed by
1: detectives shortly after surgery. According to Darley and her family, she was considered a suspect from the very beginning. Detectives claim that they were suspicious of several aspects of her story and in the intruder theory. And here are some bullet points. Darley had somehow slept through her attack and the murders of her sons. So that's a big one for me. Like, how? Like, I, I know some people are heavy sleepers, but I unless you're knocked out by heavy sleeping drugs, like, I I don't know how you would be able to uh, not you wake up through, you know, any of that. It's like, or, or it, it, were you in a, in a self-induced coma? Like that's the only way I can think that you could sleep through something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, not I mean, only just
1: getting your throat slit and attacked, but like your your son's getting stabbed. I'm sure the kids are screaming.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Unless the kids were sleeping, and you know, the guy just came in, stabby stab, and you know, it, 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 apparently one of them got him in the lung, and maybe they couldn't scream. Yeah yeah but what about the guy breaking in the house and making all this
1: noise probably but well apparently if, it was
0: just a little screen that yeah you know, yeah that yeah, would have made one, that yeah. much
1: noise no it wouldn't have but if it's dark and they don't know the layout of the house they're more than likely going to run into a few things so she was unable also to give a clear description of her assailant despite coming face-to-face with him. Yeah, I can see why police are like, really? Like, can't give us anything? But then again, wasn't—well, I mean, there was—even in that case with uh, that we covered on the show where she mentioned that it was, I think, her brother that, that shot her or whatever— but then, like you know, she died later, so uh, in in the the uh, the hospital, so they weren't really able to get back to her and and get get more details out of her. But she even she could clearly describe it was my brother. Uh, you can't give a clear description of what were they wearing. And she's not even saying like it wasn't he wasn't wearing a mask or anything or, or anything like that. It's that is a little suspect. Uh, Police did not find evidence of the crime scene that supported an an intruder. The alleged entryway for the intruder was an open window in the garage that had its screen slashed. However, there was an undisturbed layer of dust on the sill, suggesting that no one had actually came through it. A long, bleach-blonde hair was found in the cut screen. Darley had this color hair at the time. Nothing was missing from the home, which ruled out robbery as a motive. There was a lack of a blood trail leading outside of the garage... The alleged intruder did not leave any blood or footprints at the scene. There was a tube sock with Devin and Damon's blood on it that was found in an alleyway near the home. Police believe that it was planted there by Darley as an attempt to stage the scene. And a week and a half after the murders, Darley was interrogated by a detective reportedly known for extracting confessions. She allegedly stated, if I did it, I don't remember. However, the detective did not record the statement. Darley's family claims that she never made the statement uh, Darley though was arrested and charged with capital murder she was also put on suicide watch now it th- th- does mention she was dealing with postpartum depression is, th- is there a possibility that due to her postpartum depression she could have had a episode and she just snapped and stabbed two of her kids and then once she snapped out of that She's like, "Oh my god, I uh, uh, you know, what what the fuck have I done?" And then in 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 a panic decided to try to cover it up, try to make it look like it's a a burglar that did it.
0: Um I'm not even going to try to act like I understand postpartum depression. Um so I have no idea um she certainly, from what I saw in the segment, she certainly didn't fit the profile of somebody that would just do that of just who would just like murder her kids. Yeah, that's what that's what makes me. Uh, I
1: I think it might have been the postpartum depression th- angle because that ties into that because there's been instances of women who at who have severe postpartum depression who have you know had episodes and things like that where you know, they, they lose control so it could have been something where like the kid was being annoying or the kids were being annoying or something and you know in her, in her depressed state she just snapped alright I'm
0: looking am, uh, of I'm up, and myself very early on. looking up looking uh, up postpartum depression on here uh-huh. um one of the symptoms of it is hurting yourself or your baby. I kind of had a lot of anxiety, but it really started to ramp up. I started to kind of have panic attacks at night um, to where I'd start worrying
1: about the baby. Things were really bad when I spent most of the days just crying. You know, I was very, very overwhelmed. Um, I begged my mom to to take me back to the hospital because I sort of just had this this desperate need to be taken care of. I began uh, thinking of hurting and harming myself very early on.
0: Those are just some of the examples from this post dot com website. Um, Those are some good sound bites. Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean that. But I mean, in the manner that she did it, though, yeah. you know, stabbing yeah. them into death, yeah. and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think. I watched it, and I don't really think she did that. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. See, that's the thing. I don't. I. I mean, it's hard.
1: It's. It's for me. There are a lot of pieces of evidence that suggest that she easily she she might have well like go I mean, on I'll get to those later go on with
0: the rest of it and we'll
1: so uh, uh, attorneys decided uh, attorneys were hired to defend darley and they challenged the accusations according to them evidence used to secure the arrest warrant was flawed according to lloyd harrell private investigator for the defense the blonde hair found on the window screen was determined to belong to a rally police officer that's pretty important uh, he also noted the window was still low to the ground, making it unlikely for an intruder to disturb the dust. That's a good, those are some really good points. Uh, the one, the, some that were brought up in the, in the segment though, like, oh, the blood spatter, you know, the, the, the cause I think I also saw the forensic files episode and it's like, oh, the blood spatter on, on the, on the shirt that could have just been transferred when the uh, when the police officers took the shirts and put them in a bag i'm like you have a blood spatter expert who says this matches this type of uh uh motion with a knife where you're over the shoulder with a knife going down into the body I'm going to take the blood spatter expert's word for it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm pretty sure they already looked into the possibility that maybe the blood, that pattern could have been caused by just placing the shirts, bloody shirts in a bag. But he already ruled that out because that's that, that, that type of pattern does not normally occur by just picking up bloody shirts and I
0: mean, piling if, them in a bag. if blood gets into a cloth shirt... Which ninety nine percent of shirts are made from? Uh, does it transfer that easily onto other things? I mean, I guess if you have a lot, yeah, I, a significant amount of blood in the shirt, then maybe. But
1: even that, not in that particular pattern.
0: Yeah, like the chances of it transferring in that
1: particular pattern are not not very high. They're extremely low, and that one really got me. Like, is that one's like, oh, okay, like i mean that 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 matches the knife you know the 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 knife going into the into one of the kids it's it's like it's kind of hard to to dispute that particular one for me
0: yeah first Um, at first like they had me thinking that maybe something you know was going on with the uh with Darlie, the, the mother, you know, because you, the, the screen was sliced and there was, uh, you know, dust still on the windowsill. And it's like, oh, well, if someone was to come in, then, you know, that would definitely be disturbed. But then when they brought up the fact that this, this was so low to the ground, if you're just stepping in, you know, there's there would not be dust in the windowsill. Like, yeah. you would not, you, and, you'd and that, have that no is, reason is, to touch it. That is a good point.
1: But they're still not, they're not disputing the blood spatter, though. I think was, if I remember correctly, was on the the shirts that, that I think her shirt. So it's kind of hard to like really d- d- dispute that and try to explain it away by oh, it just picked up bloody shirts and piled them in a bag, and that's why the pattern showed up. Like, no, sorry. Uh, Darley's trial was moved to Kirk County, a conservative uh, in uh, south central Texas with a high rate conviction a rate of conviction in the in death penalty in death penalty cases her trial began on January 6 1997 the prosecution opened its case by presenting the state's theory of the crime according to the state darley was a greedy selfish and vain woman whose extravagant lifestyle was threatened by the responsibility of motherhood prosecutors claimed that if Devin and damon were dead she could collect on their life insurance policies but the life insurance policy wasn't really that much and definitely not enough to really warrant such a horrible crime, because it's not because the her attorneys pointed out that Darren was insured for eight hundred thousand dollars and her boys were only insured for ten thousand. Yeah, and it and, and according to her mother, it it cost thirteen thousand dollars just to bury the boys. So that, if you're doing it for that, you loo- You're losing money, right? But I could see the the argument they're making that she's selfish and vain. She does seem to like to live the high life. Um, they showed this clip of her. It was like, a, it was supposed to be the birthday for, for, uh, Devin and Damon. And she's just spraying silly string, you know, and celebrating their, their birthday posthumously at the, at the grave site. And I could see what some people could might see in that one. Um, I think some people are looking a little bit too deep into it, but I can kind of see what some people are looking into that because that you know, it's that's quickly after a horrific loss and you're you know giggling and smiling that's, and that's just, such bullshit, just, man. Like that, and it, that's it is it is it, the, def- it is bullshit. That's just
0: the defense grasping at straws, yeah. trying
1: to make it is, it is absolutely them grasping at straws. But when you think about it and you compare it to what a lot of people think are a natural reaction to that kind of thing like like they don't really think of of you know that kind of event like so i could see why
0: that swayed some people just just losing my dad a year ago like i can fucking speak to how everybody grieves differently and the grief process is different i was fucking the day my dad died i was laughing and joking with stephanie like Uh, on, on my way to, uh, to the house, you know, after they moved his body and when I got to the house and saw the shirt that he had been wearing that day in the, you know, that had been removed from him, that was in the dirty laundry basket. When I saw that shirt that I'd seen him wear many times before, and that he had just been wearing, I fucking lost it. I lost it, and I started, yeah. I broke down, and I was just screaming. But I, but, see, you have that particular
1: moment that's ca- that you can you can tell people. Like, so you had the laughing moment, and then you had the moment of, 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 of sadness and emotion. Um, the, the people who saw this video, they like, don't have that context. They just see that.
0: Well, and, so that's, I, and I, that's, I, I, I,
1: They just see her joking and smiling and, and kind of not... It seems like she's not making that big of a deal about it and moved on pretty that's quickly. That's the unfortunate so thing about see, jury
0: trials is that they yes. show you what they want you to see. And they and, and you don't... It, it is kind of bullshit sometimes because it's like you really you really have to know the person and it's almost like a big play when you're in the court and all it's like not even it's not even uh based on whether someone's guilty or innocent it's based on who put on the best act for the jury pretty much is yeah. what it feels like yeah. because there's no way that these people that are complete strangers can get any kind of an uh, idea of who you are if you're on trial Yeah, Uh, you're they're literally the the defense and the uh, prosecution is just, you know, basically trying to Uh to do their best job to make a version of you that is either guilty or a version of you that is innocent. And then they'll like pick out certain things that are a bad look to the average person. Yeah, exactly. A video of so, people of of someone shooting silly string and laughing at uh, a a death anniversary of uh, a, a child, or not death anniversary, but a birthday after the child is deceased. That is a bad look, especially to a conservative. Uh, county yeah uh jury which is where they happened to try this lady at it was a small like a smaller yeah. town it's, in like, Texas. it's like it's like the west memphis
1: three you know they're into they wear black metal t-shirts right you know, they were you know were they saying whispers
0: and- no but did it look was it a bad look to a conservative redneck jury absolutely yeah, you know, so it's like, but um,
1: I, I'm not arguing that like that that was any sort of smoking gun or anything like that. I'm just trying to you know place the audience in 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 the shoes of the jury and sort of how some you know how people can be swayed by things like that and how it's understandable that they could be swayed by footage like that. Yeah, I mean, it ties into exactly what you're talking about, like because it's not a normal thing, according to what most of us view the grieving process to be. But, you know, a lot of us just need to kind of put what we think the grieving process should be aside, including myself, and understand, like like you've been repeating uh, throughout this uh, discussion so far, that it's different for everyone.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, you have the initial shock and the initial, like, punch to the gut of loss and that and you hear that on her frantic 911 call, that does not sound fake to me or staged. It sounds like Well some people can be really
1: good actors and then in other ways she could have been uh if it's if if the postpartum depression theory is true, she could have just gotten out of that and she's distraught and emotional, you know, based on that. Yeah. But like
0: you have your initial uh freak out moment or your 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 initial cry or whatever and then after that it's just kind of like a depression it's more of a a feeling down in the dumps it doesn't mean you can't laugh and can't enjoy oh you know but you just have this in this constant sense of like damn that sucks that that person's gone now fuck like it's it's more of a nagging Uh, depression or sense of loss it's an ache yeah yeah exactly it's it's not like you're not crying i mean some people might cry all the time but most people aren't you know gonna be constantly just crying and you know oh it's the birthday and then too like well like who's to say that like okay so say she like who's to say she wasn't crying at some point at that birthday who that's what i'm saying who's gonna like, want to film you, you that, don't have
1: that you know you don't have the context uh, other than just that particular clip so the DA argued that Darley, still suffering from postpartum depression murdered the boy slit her own throat and then tried to make it appear that an intruder committed the crime a medical examiner testified that her wounds were superficial and self-inflicted however the defense introduced medical reports that stated that her neck wound came within one sixteenth of an inch of severing her carotid artery and killing her hospital photographs also showed extreme bruising on her arms her attorneys also pointed out that Darren was insured for $800,000, like I mentioned earlier, and her boys for only $10,000. According to her mother, they took $13,000 to bury them. The prosecution countered with a blood spatter expert who focused on a small amount of blood on the back of Darwey's shirt and contained both boys' blood. According to the expert, this is cast-off blood, which could have would occur as she stabbed them. As she brought the knife back, the blood would drip off and land on the back of her shirt. However, Darley's mother claimed that this occurred because the police contaminated the evidence in their collection process. Sorry, mom. I, I'm I'm leaning like I said earlier, I'm leaning with the professional and the expert there with that particular piece of evidence. Like what where's your experience when it comes to like analyzing evidence like that? Where's your training? So the prosecution then brought up a controversial piece of evidence eight days after the murders. The Rudiers celebrated Devon's seventh birthday posthumously at his gravesite. Darley had just been released from the hospital and was on painkillers, antibiotics, and antidepressants. A news crew captured her smiling and spraying silly string on his grave as part of her birthday part of her birthday celebration. Darley claims it was a celebration of his birthday and was not a cold gesture against her son. During deliberations, the jury viewed the silly string video eight times. Really, what they should have been looking at is the blood spatter, more and the uh, medical reports, and the fact that uh, the blonde hair uh, was not really hers, and that you know the the window being low to the ground wasn't really that big of a deal, but they just looked at the silly string video, which is probably exactly what the prosecution wanted. Consider they were definitely. They knew their audience, so to speak. It only took them 10 hours to convict Darley of capital murder. Her family and supporters claim that the crucial evidence was overlooked during the investigation, and this is some of the evidence they mentioned. Her family claims that the photographs of Darley's wounds were not properly presented to the jury. After the trial, juror Charles Sanford got to look more closely at the pictures. He felt that the wounds were not self-inflicted. That's only one juror, though. <laughs> I mean that I, I, I that's not a, that's not a smoking gun of innocence for me uh, her defenders also point to the tube sock found 75 yards from the Rudier home the sock contains the boy's blood along with the skin skin dna from darley however none of her blood stains were found on it her supporters believe that someone else left the socks sock there according to her supporters darley would have been unable to kill the boys and stage the scene in the small time frame medical testimony to establish a Damon who didn't die until paramedics arrived could not have lived for more than nine minutes after receiving the fatal wound. Darlie was taking, was talking to a 911 operator for five minutes and 45 seconds of those nine minutes. The police secured the scene for an additional two minutes before paramedics arrived. According to her supporters, that would leave her a minute and a half to place the sock in the alley, stage a crime scene and cut her own throat. Here's the thing about the sock. How long was that there? And it, couldn't there be a possibility that maybe like it was just left there like absentmindedly or something, but like it, it and not necessarily? Because like, why would a killer leave a sock? Like, why would why would he even do that?
0: Like, why is there even a sock there? Like, what is the point of the sock? He was a big fan of the O.J. Simpson murders. <laughs> he wanted to leave some kind of a. <laughs> OJ left a glove, I'm going to leave a sock. <laughs> um he's
1: a big fan of mankind. Yeah, hey, um, yeah. socko. Yeah. Socko did it. Uh <laughs> So I I definitely do I I see what a lot of people are, the supporters are talking about with this particular instance. Like that that is not a lot of time to do those things like really I'd say like for me like the biggest but a lot of them they're they're talking about the sock they're they're talking about staging the scene and the sock in the small time frame uh the whole thing about her killing the kids and then trying to stage it to look like it, uh, somebody attacked her she could have easily done that in that amount of time the sock thing but like what did what, what, I mean the sock is just one of those things that's like not really a very good, like, why would a killer, I don't understand why the killer would leave it there. And have we ruled out the possibility that it could have been left there previously? Like, how how long has the sock been there? Did it just randomly appear? Or was it just 75 yards from the home to begin with? Like, maybe the kids were playing, maybe there was something going on, and a sock was left behind. Yeah, but it had the and, kid's blood on it, though. Yeah, it did. It did have the kid's blood on it. That's the thing, which is, which is the thing. But then, it's just like I, I don't understand leaving the sock. Maybe they threw it. Maybe they're trying to get rid of the the bloody clothes. But then, like, they just threw the sock. It's just the sock is one of those things that really sticks out to me. It's just like why, like what what. It does seem like something that you put there to try to stage something. It does. But there's not a lot of time for her to do that. So unless she was working with someone else, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know. Uh, According to her supporters, there were two unidentified fingerprints found at the scene. One was on the door leading to the garage and another was on the credenza behind the couch. That could be something, but it could also be did they have guests over? Did they have other people over at any point in time during the day? That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the killers who left the fingerprints. Numerous violent rapes in the area occurred around the same time. In some cases, the assailant entered the unlocked homes of the victims, accosted them with knives found in the kitchen, and used tube socks over their hands to avoid leaving fingerprints. That's interesting. But I don't think he would leave the tube sock behind if that's what the killers were using to not leave fingerprints. And there were unidentified fingerprints left behind, so why the heck, if they're doing all this effort to put tube socks over their hands... They'll not leave fingerprints. Why would they leave fingerprints behind? My and it didn't seem like there was really rape involved here either. So
0: my biggest thing as to like that that I found to be troubling or problematic was the fact that at at the scene there wasn't any like t- blood trails or bloody like shoe yes. prints. Yes
1: that's another big one
0: like exactly like that that's really made it seem like it was like a homegrown operation yeah like someone's gonna come that's a big one for me yeah someone's gonna come in there and do and stab and do all this other kind of crazy stuff and the blood is not gonna trail outside in any way there's not gonna be any bloody footprints yeah you know it's like uh the the one of the detectives did a ghost do
1: it did casper did casper have a psychotic break
0: (laughs) i think one of the the, the detectives said like in these situations where moms end up you know harming their kids or whatever there's always like a a really amateur job done as far as like you know trying to place red herrings and trying to make things look a certain way without truly like taking all the subtleties into consideration that would be present in like an actual homicide. Yep. You know, it's like, Oh, uh, a typical murder is going to be like, you know, a bloody knife and, you know, a sock and that's it. But then you don't think about things like, well, they're going to check the windowsill and they're going to do this. and They're going they're to do that. Check the blood spatter. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to check if you left finger, if
1: there were fingerprints left behind. Or, or, you know, bloody fingerprints or, or footprints or any sort of evidence of, of, of anything being dragged around. So, uh, Rudia was sentenced to death row on February 1st, 1997. She now sits on death row in prison. Many of her supporters still have a hard time accepting her ad, as the murderer of her sons. Uh, juror Charles Sanford now believes that he convicted an innocent woman. Unless significant new evidence is discovered that persuades the police and prosecutions evidence it's very likely she might be executed for the murders of her two God, sons. God, you
0: read fast. <laughs> You're like an auctioneer.
1: <laughs> I'm not that fast. Where's um, the fire, buddy? The case is unresolved. So in the Forensic Files episode about the case, several pieces of evidence were mentioned. This is a, That's a great episode, by the way. It gives you way more details. The murder weapon was determined to have come from a knife block in the kitchen. Darley claimed that she chased the intruder through the kitchen and he knocked a wine glass off a rack. However, pieces of glass were found on top of blood droplets. Also, there were no cuts on her feet. Yeah, if you knocked a wine glass off onto the floor, like I, w- I would think you would have cut yourself at some point in time when you walked on on, on the wine glass, you know, the broken glass. Underneath an overturned vacuum cleaner was more blood spatter and a wheel impression, suggesting that it was knocked over after she had ran by it. Darley's blood was also on the handle, and it dripped at an 80 degree angle, as if she was leaning over it. A blood spatter analyst noted the blood droplets on the kitchen floor were circular, meaning that it was deposited by someone standing still or walking slowly. This was inconsistent with her story. The analyst could also find no evidence that the intruder dropped the knife on the kitchen floor as she claimed. An audio expert also analyzed Darlie's 911 call and eliminated all of the background noise. In his opinion, she had quickly moved from at least three different rooms in the house. This also contradicted her story. Luminol was applied to the Rudier kitchen. Luminol showed footprints in front of the sink, the prints belonging to Darlie. Luminol testing revealed that more blood had been cleaned up around the sink before police arrived. Large amounts of luminol testing revealed that more blood had been cleaned up around, you know, around the sink, and, and also large amounts of Darley's blood were found in the front of the sink, suggesting that she stood there for a long time. Prosecutors believed that she cut her neck and arm there. On the carpet was the distinct outline of the murder weapon. A large amount of blood was concentrated towards the tip of the knife. The blood spatter analyst noted that this meant that the person holding the knife was also bleeding. The blood from the outline belonged to Darley and also Damon. However, she claimed that she had only picked up the knife and placed it on the kitchen counter. On one of the bread knives from the knife block, a trace evidence and analyst found a single fiberglass rod and some rubber dust. The analyst determined that the rod and dust were made of the same fiberglass material found on the cut window screen. No other source of fiberglass is found in the home. This meant that whoever cut the window screen then put the knife back in the knife block. Other evidence and inconsistencies were found in Darley's story that were brought up at trial. Several nurses and doctors testified that she did not initially have severe bruising on her arms, although the bruising was seen later. According to several witnesses, the wine glass rack, where one glass allegedly was knocked off of, was sturdy and the glasses could not fall off if if they were bumped. Darley also claimed that she had placed a towel on Damon's back. This story was contradicted by first responders. She repeatedly told the 911 operator about picking up the knife and getting her fingerprints on it. While in jail, she claimed that she knew the identity of the intruder. However, at trial, she claimed that she had amnesia, and she couldn't remember saying that. Darley also claimed that Damon was walking around and talking, despite being brutally stabbed in the liver and lungs. Also, the Rudiers had several financial problems prior to the murders. Friends testified that following the murders, she was not upset and seemed more concerned about the money and refurbishing her home. Finally, Darley repeatedly changed her story regarding waking up, chasing the intruder, standing at the kitchen sink, helping the boys, and knowing the identity of the perpetrator. For unknown reasons, during her May 21, 2003 appeal, Darley and her attorneys did not challenge the legal or factual sufficiency of the evidence to support her conviction. A request for retesting forensic evidence was granted on June 18, 2008. During the summer of 2014, a judge ordered for more forensic testing again. In 2015, the results were released. All DNA profiles tested were determined to belong to Darley and Darren. Okay. In 2014, a TV series Dead Again investigated Darley's case. The investigators all came to the conclusion that she was guilty and presented their findings to Charles Sanford, the juror who had felt she was innocent. Charles now believes she is guilty. However, her supporters continue to insist that she is innocent. In 2018, the TV series The Last Defense presented a documentary into Darby's case that revealed details not made available to the public, the series cast speculation on the veracity of the prosecution's evidence, and the absence of the defense experts who found credible evidence of an attacker in the Routier home. So yeah, um, I definitely want to give that documentary a watch sometime to kind of see maybe if there's any bits of evidence that are represented, that are brought up in that that might... Discredit or or bring into question the truckload of evidence provided uh, through the forensic files episode and the prosecution, which to me, like when you see that, you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of hard for me to 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 have this uh, thought process that she's innocent, um, but I still don't know for sure because there might be other. Bits of evidence that I don't know of, maybe in that documentary, but it's still a very interesting case to me, not just because of the gray areas and stuff like that, but because of just the, you know, it's a horrific murder for one, and it's one of those that's just so sudden and random and shocking. Those are always some of the ones that stick with you the most. A mother who just suddenly kills
0: two of her kids, like brutally, and stabs them to death. Like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean it's it's truly unbelievable in the sense that like I can't believe I just can't believe it. Yeah. So, what do you think about that extra evidence? Uh, it that was, sounds uh, that I mentioned it sounds, from, from the prosecution sounds pretty bad for her. Um, it definitely kind of swayed my opinion a little bit after hearing that. Um. I don't know it's just one of, it's just one of those cases where i just my if i was in the jury man my gut would just be telling me that like i just don't i don't think it happened like that because i mean they're also talking about this pedophile with the tube sock and all that in the neighborhood it's like why wasn't that looked into more you know it's like i don't know Oh well, yeah i agree it's, like, it's almost like the they But well, then I, like i was saying like if he was his whole thing was like tube socks why would he leave a bloody
1: sock behind and I why, I mean, why why were their fingerprints left behind because that's his whole thing, he's not supposed to and it wasn't really a pedophile I think it was just a rapist who was just like raping, you know, raped women so I don't think he was into 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 uh sexual abuse of, of, of minors and he didn't really abuse her either, so there's no evidence of sexual abuse, so if this was supposed to be this guy, why did he all of a sudden change his, his, his MO? Why did he all of a sudden just change everything and decided, ah, I'm not gonna rape her this time. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna slash her throat.
0: Yeah, it's true. They don't really. They don't really change their MOs like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just. I don't know. Yeah. You,
1: you. You. I'm leaning. I'm leaning towards guilty because of the evidence has been provided, but I, I can. I can see some things that definitely raise some flags and raise some questions about whether she is as guilty as this evidence makes her appear to be i mean
0: if she is um, guilty then then it's like could they at least give her some kind of like uh psychotic break you know plea or some shit like yeah. plea, plea insanity well that's what
1: the da was trying to do he was trying to say it was it was the result of postpartum depression which it, it that to me sounds like the most uh plausible explanation for everything for me personally yeah. It was a it was a psychotic break uh, brought about by postpartum depression.
0: Now, do you think that was like if say she did do it, like do you think her sl- slitting her throat was like a failed suicide attempt, like killing the kids and then herself? Maybe, and she doesn't want to be honest about yeah. it or or, you know, it was an attempt to try to cover it up. And then she realized, "Oh shit, I don't want to die or or it didn't work." Oh my God, my kids are dead. I don't know. Yeah, that that's a possibility. But
1: I mean, it's just, it is it, it, the the postpartum depression thing I, I buy. But then it's like her meticulously trying to cover it up afterwards. It's just, it, that's the thing that also raises questions. It, it raises questions about her character, raises questions about, you know, like if it was postpartum depression, why wasn't it just like, oh my God, it blacked out? I don't know what happened. Like your 911 call should have just been. I blacked out, I, you know, I've been depressed lately, and, and I, I, I think I killed my kids, you know, that kind of thing. But she, immediately she's talking about how it wasn't her, someone else tried to do it, you know. Or someone else did it. You know, someone else tried to kill her, and then you know, someone else killed her kids.
0: Well, if she's as concerned with status as they kind of made her sound like, she's not going to be the kind of person that wants to be Known as the one that admitted to killing her kids. She's going to want it to be this awful person who broke in and did it.
1: Yep. That's, 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 that, that I could definitely see that as well. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's one hell of a case. It really is. Yeah, I could see why it's one that is still resonating with a lot of people to this day. And I definitely want to check out that 2020 documentary. I'm kind of surprised they didn't it's put not, this on I'm the really...
0: uh, Ultimate Collection under the Bizarre Murders.
1: It's yep. a been a
0: good contender. Definitely. Definitely. Although there were such solid cases on there, like the, yeah, there, there the was. Bob Box case and the uh-huh. Bad Chief and the Trailer Terror. Yeah. The Tube Mary murder. Yep. So many great classic case. so yeah
1: uh i don't have anything else to say about this case except uh like i said i'm leaning towards guilty so but she was but, on death know, row there's evidence that, right yeah so was she when's her execution i don't know yet because i think there's still like they're still trying I think that the documentary i think there's trying to drum up interest trying to do like one last
0: defense you know type thing geez um, that's god god what a fucking life on death row Knowing that you're probably gonna die, god, that's that's that'd be awful.
1: Well, I also think that some people with this particular case, because it's a mother, they automatically have, like, you like you, like you, you're like, I can't believe it, yeah, you know,
0: yeah. I will say the fact that she that her being like a young mother does definitely taint my view on the her possibility of being able to commit this crime. I, I will admit that, uh, if it were a guy. I, I probably would be a lot more like yeah, like it was a young father. Yeah, I'd probably be like yeah. I mean, you know, fucking blah blah blah. But it's so rare that women like murder in that way. Like that's very rare. Yeah, but I mean, if she
1: had a a, a psychotic break, that she probably didn't even know. She wasn't cognizant or aware. Yeah, of what she was doing. Yeah.
0: All right, yeah. Well, that's all I have to say about two, and I'm getting fucking hungry as shit. So I'm gonna go make a <laughs> pizza. Um, you guys can all joke about that and make make fun of me, uh, for having a baby stomach. Apparently, um, so they're gonna be like, "Oh, did Josh eat before the podcast?" Yeah, I actually did <laughs> eat pancakes, but you know that only sustains you for so long. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group, you should do that because that's like the easiest and most interactive place to find us. And just search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries on Facebook uh, under the group section and we should come up there. Uh, You can like our page on Facebook as well. You know, whatever. Uh, You can consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You get the podcast early and uh, there's some bonus material on there that you can check out. Um, You can... Check us out on YouTube separately, but entertainingly equally. Uh, you can find Mike on there at youtube.com slash, OCP communications. He is a movie fan to say the least. Uh, he reviews movies. Mike, what was the last thing you talked about on your channel?
1: I, uh, reviewed, uh, Tales from the Crypt, uh, season two. So I reviewed six more episodes from that season,
0: um, so that's the last thing I talked about. Would you say that Tales for so, the Tales from the Crypt is like Are You Afraid of the Dark for adults?
1: Uh I don't think it's I don't think that's a good way to put it like cuz it's really like there's a lot of episodes that are like really violent and like gory and there's nudity and everything and sounds, drug use and all kinds of other crazy it shit. It's hot. Um really uh Tales from the Crypt, it's based on the EC comics, like Tales from the Crypt, Vault of Horror, Shock, Suspense Stories, um, Haunt of Fear, that that were very popular, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And they eventually were banned by this stick-in-the-mud, you know, stick-up-his-ass fucking asshole who decided to try to be like, oh, you know, kids who read these, they turn into murderers or whatever. Like, it was making that argument back then. Like, that's not an old argument that people are still making to this day. You know, about violence in, in, in media. So, they they predate stuff like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? So, if anything, Are You Afraid of the Dark is a kid's version of Tales in the Crypt okay because tales of the crypt is based on these comics uh from from uh the like i said the 50s and 60s
0: fair enough so yeah go on over to mike's channel if you want to check out his content you can check out my youtube channel at youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts and uh i do a lot of music-based videos a lot of like either historical stuff or fun facts or uh, stuff like that. Uh, I've done video game videos, but I've kind of discontinued that. I'm, I'm mainly focusing on music and entertainment on my channel. So, you know, I talk about the Woodstock festivals and uh, how singing has changed throughout the decades, uh, the evolution of progressive rock from uh, prog to pop in the 70s and 80s. And my most recent video is uh, doing a 20-year anniversary retrospective at Limp Biscuits. Uh 1999 album, Significant Other. That was the album that really broke them as a band. And I do a track-by-track analysis. And I see, does Limp Bizkit hold up in 2019? So if you want to go check out that video, head on over to youtube.com slash ghosts. And while you're at it, make sure you give my band a listen on Spotify. Dancing with Ghosts yes. is on Spotify. And uh, I've taken a
1: listen to... Uh the most recent album, Hex, and there there are some lo- songs I like better than others, but um, one in particular, particularly that I'm
0: really enjoying, is the Narcissist. Well, I think it's a great thank song. Thank you. Yeah, Mike finally gave my album a, a listen after however long I've been promoting it on here. So maybe you guys can finally do the same and 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 don't skip past the music at the end. And if you like what you hear, go on over to uh itunes or spotify or anywhere else online where you buy music and uh you know purchase the album or at least stream it that helps me out and it uh, helps our band out this is you know my other dream that i'm trying to make come true is to make, get success in the music industry so uh, if you could help me out there that would be great but yeah until next time guys make sure you uh are safe out there and don't die and goodbye See ya. So now we've come to the point in the podcast where I'm going to promote my band, Dancing with Ghosts. We are on Spotify and anywhere else that you want to stream music, so please give us a listen. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting our band. You can buy limited editions of our physical CDs and uh, t-shirts in the description to this podcast. And uh, we just appreciate you checking out the band and giving it a chance. And now here is a little clip of some of our music. Someone's got to tie it up. As goes the night, I feel the slip in this abyss. Handcrafted cage, my skull, I cannot stand. You cannot stand. Oh. So yeah, are we supposed to Are we supposed to be doing a podcast right now? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Did you want me to say something or was I supposed to
1: Yeah, you're supposed to do the intro and everything. Uh, um I'm thinking that you um I'm gonna take b- you
0: know, you'll tackle Star first. Okay. I'm going to be and like we'll um I'm going to let's be like every uh beginner podcast and just start like laughing into the mic and just being like <laughs> are we recording? Oh my god, this is so crazy. <laughs> so, we don't really know what we're doing um <laughs> I started this idea with Mike and Oh, my God, you tell him. You tell him, Mike. I don't know.
1: <laughs> um, uh, uh, well, um, we, we, we like the show Unsolved
0: Mysteries, and... <laughs> oh, wow, that was too fake of a laugh. Sorry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> No, nah, it's just, I, I, I listened to my friend's uh, podcast the other day. Yeah. It was her first uh, ever attempt at a podcast. And uh-huh. It's just fucking hilarious, like, how all fucking podcasts start out the same way. Like, okay, mm. we don't know what we're doing, uh, so blah, 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 and it's just like, I don't know if we just started out that way or not. No, we, we Bubba, we hit the ground running. We hit the ground yeah. awesome. Like we we went into it like the goddamn season pros that we are. <laughs> no, we're not we're not giggly cunts. Oh, that was mean. That was mean. Why did I say that? Um all right. All right, here we go. I'm ready now. So
1: I also wanna mention like uh wanna let you know. Nice job on the Limp Biscuit video, hopefully that it gets more views considering, you know. That it's video like an is like, that. that video
0: is doing well. Like I'm like, what the fuck, man? You never know what video is going to do well and yeah, not do well. Like it's it hasn't even been 24 hours yet, and it's already at like uh-huh. almost 500 views for my channel. Like yeah. that means it's going to be a so success.
1: I would guess. I would guess that Olympus gets is more hard rock or closer to punk than Sugar Ray, right? Because the movie Father's Day that I watched recently. One of the most ridiculous things about it is that it has this subplot that involves these group of teens that are following around Sugar Ray and they go to these hard rock punk con, you know, uh, concerts. And I'm like, Sugar Ray, sugar Ray is not punk. <laughs> you have like shots of the crowd and they're all punk crowds and it's fucking
0: sugar Ray. Uh, well, I, uh, Mark McGrath was in a band, um, I think that Sugar Ray became called the Shrinky Dinks, and they actually were, like, more punk. Yeah, but... They're, yeah, they're Sugar not Ray, and this a, this. I, I, I don't know, you know, Sugar Ray <laughs> might be one of those bands where, like, their, their hits were, like, these, like, flukes that sounded nothing like their normal stuff, like, for all Possibly, I, for yeah. all I know, like, every other track. Well, it's,
1: like, extreme, I mean, extreme... Their big hit was the "More Than Words" song, and that sounds nothing like the majority of their other music. They're a metal band.
0: Is their other music more extreme? It's hard. It, yeah, <laughs>
1: it's definitely harder. It's 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 a harder music. Mr. Big actually, they're the ones I think sang that, if I remember correctly. Or Mr. Big didn't. No, Mr. Big. All I want to do is be with you, or whatever that one. Just to be uh, the be next to you. be with you. Just to be the next to be with you, or whatever that that was.
0: That I wouldn't want to be yeah. with you.
1: Yeah. And Mr. Big has done harder and better music than that, too. It's just it, <sighs> that's not really their normal thing either. So I, I find it interesting. There's two bands that have sort of a similar, sort of harder rock, uh, heavy guitar sort of style that are known for their sappy ballads Well, by
0: the time those songs got released in like the late eighties, early nineties, it's like everybody had already heard that big hair metal sound already. So the fact that their other music sounded heavier was no big whoop to people. Cause it's like, yeah, we've been hearing this for the past five or six years easily. Yeah, but a lot of it is just,
1: it's just better. <laughs> it's, you know, when you, when, if you actually listen to their, to their, uh, discography like their 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 other songs are just better like like they're harder in terms of their maybe they're not built
0: to be as popular but they're just better songs yeah well the ballads uh you know at that particular time you know oh they are huge yeah (laughs) so i don't blame them yeah, I tried listening to Motley Crue's like actual album, like their non hits, to see if like there's some hidden gold in there that I have yet to uncover. I like "Shout at the Devil," and that's really the only one I can think of off the top of my head. I didn't, I, like I didn't song. care for any of their other stuff either. I'm so I, I have, I have officially hey, it's cool.
1: I'm not, I'm not a super big fan of them either. I just, I like "Shout at the Devil." I think part of it's because it was used in. The soundtrack for this italian horror movie called demons and it was actually used fairly well in that so i kind of just associate it with this trippy crazy italian horror movie i think i'm officially but,
0: like uh going on the record in saying that i i hate hair metal uh i've given it so many <laughs> chances have it, you
1: tried have you tried listening to scorpions albums no that might
0: be, they might,
1: they might, yeah. they might or, be able or if to bring you. Or you tried Dokken or, no. you know. No, I haven't. So I, I would say that those are better hair metal bands. But Scorpion started out like as a, just as traditional rock band long before they uh, were a hair metal band. Uh, I like Quiet Riot as well. I, I like their music. Uh, some of their later albums are, are interesting because they tried to be more experimental. Like, like, I think like the nineties one they did. Um, but I could see Dio, that's another band like Dio is, Dio is pretty awesome. And so he's kind of lumped in there with hair metal as well.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll get this started. Yeah. <laughs>